Hello everyone, my name is Chris. I'm the student ministries pastor here at Agora Bible Fellowship. We are so excited that you have joined us for another online service. And just to let you know, our heart for everyone is to be connected to a local body of believers, a local church. And this online service is provided just to be a supplement. So if you need some uh, extra time or you want some extra time in God's word or you're unable to attend church due to work or vacation or whatever it may be, uh, that's why this service exists. Uh, just a supplement. Uh, with that said, there's a couple of things I just want to remind you of. The first thing is, uh, we love praying for you throughout the week. You can text your confidential prayer request to 97000 97000 and Stephanie will receive those and she'll respond back almost immediately. Uh, we love praying for you and uh, we want uh, to know that we love partnering with you in your uh, prayer. Uh, so uh, the last thing I want to talk about is... Uh, we have a lot going on here at Agora Bible Fellowship in all areas of ministries. And uh, you can go on our website at agorabible.org and you can find information about all of our life groups, our events and ministries that go on throughout the whole week. And that is our best, uh, that is the best place to find any of that information that you might be looking for. Lastly, we are just so thankful for your ongoing generosity and financial support and giving to our church. There's no way we can do what we do without that, and uh, we just so appreciate that. Uh, we just ask that you prayerfully consider making a donation, and you can do that on agorabible.org on our website under the Give tab, and you can donate there. We really appreciate that. Well, finally, let's get into God's Word, so grab that cup of coffee, grab that tea, and let's open up God's Word together. Thank you. Well, thank you, Chris. You are the man. I love that guy. Well, hey, church, it is good to be back. Uh, it's been a while since I've been up here taking the last number of weeks off, having the little baby girl. Uh, if you haven't heard yet, she is doing amazing. Hannah just had her one month birthday, if that's a thing. She's over a month old now, uh, going pretty great. And I am really excited for what sleep-deprived Josh has to share with you today. Uh, it's going to be great. It's going to be absolutely great. Well, uh, if you've seen our title yet, not sure if it's flashed up on the screen yet, there it is. Uh, our title today, uh, you are seeing that today's scripture is about lawsuits. And so my question is, are you ready to have some fun? Because let's get after this. So I don't have much background with the legal system, which might be a good thing as your pastor. Jeez, uh, I'm having a good time already. Yes, yeah, sleep deprived Josh. See, enjoy. Um, but one of my, uh, yeah, really my main experience with the legal system is back when I was a newbie to California about 10 plus years ago. Um, I was a grand juror for the county of Ventura. True story. It was back in a time of life where I was working for a church plant down on the west side of LA. I was kind of stringing together part-time jobs, and this was a season of life where I was praying, God, how are you going to provide in this next season? And the Lord provided in the most wild of ways jury duty. I don't know if you've heard me tell that story before, but very true story. I was a grand juror. I was on the grand jury of Ventura County for a number of months, and uh, it was great provision. It was a cool experience, uh, but truth be told, I was ready for it to be done. Uh, no offense to lawyers, uh, but I'm glad that our culture is not like the culture of ancient Corinth. Uh, I'll get to that in a second. So, uh, a little bit about our passage today. Hopefully, 
You enjoy scripture that is black and white because today's scripture is just that. Now, my guess, as we get into today's scripture, for many of you, that the letter of the law of what we're going to be talking about today isn't relevant exactly where you're at in your current situation. My hope that it never is. However, I am not so foolish as to think that somebody out there might not be dealing with a scenario like this. And so just want to say, if you are considering taking legal action against someone, today's scripture is for you. Now, if you are not in that situation, if you're not currently uh, pursuing any sort of legal action uh, against someone, today's passage is absolutely still for you as well. Uh, one, a situation like this could arise, arise in the future, and I think it's a good one to just kind of have in your back pocket tucked away. But even if you never deal with a situation like that ever in your life, this message, this passage is absolutely still for you today as well. Man, the Apostle Paul gives such a good heart check for any and every believer. I'm excited for us to dive into it. Let me pray for us, and then we'll get into God's word together. Let's pray. Hmm. Dear Father, um, God, just thank you. Um, thank you for your goodness. Um, God, thank you for a little bit of time away. Thank you for baby Hannah. Thank you for um, just your amazing blessings. Um, God, thank you so much for your word, that you sharpen us through your word um, and uh, really inform uh, our conscience uh, and give your Holy Spirit living inside of us uh, ammunition to work with. And so, Lord, I ask that today your word would be sharpening and changing us and shaping us into the men and women that you want us to be. Uh, we are desperate for your Holy Spirit to do that work in us because we just want to look more like you. We love you, we thank you, and we give you this time now. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. If you would, please turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. The verses will be put up on the screen. I always think it's nice to have your own little uh, either tablet or Bible so that you can kind of reference back while the words aren't up on the screen. That's just my preference. So we are continuing in our series working through the book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, a little background on the situation that Paul is addressing with the Corinthian church concerning lawsuits. So the Corinthian church, the people in the Corinthian church would have been influenced by both Jewish and non-Jewish Gentile culture in the day. And each had its own distinct culture when it came to lawsuits and the legal system. In Jewish culture back then, uh, Jews avoided pagan courts. So non-Jewish courts, they avoided them right? Uh, they believed uh, that God's word was good enough to handle all areas of life, family issues, social issues, money issues. And so they kind of viewed it as blasphemy to go into a pagan court. So they set up their own kind of legal system and they tried cases there in the synagogues. Interestingly, the ancient Roman and Greek world allowed for this. They were cool with it. Jews could try all cases and pass all rulings in-house except for one. 
they could not issue death as a punishment in any of the cases that they tried. Which makes a lot of sense when you think to the story of Jesus, right? How the Jews had him beaten and whipped. However, in order to have him killed, they brought him to the Romans, right? So uh, after Jesus, the Christian church was kind of grandfathered into this freedom. The Christian church back then was granted this legal freedom to try all cases just like the Jewish, uh, uh, the Jewish uh, culture was uh, because they were kind of just viewed as a sect of Judaism, okay? So that's Jewish culture. That's how it impacted the Corinthian church back then. Local Gentile culture, on the other hand, pertaining to lawsuits and the legal system, uh, during that time was quite unique, uh, very, very unique. So truth be told, we don't have a ton of information that is specific to Corinth from back then. However, we have a lot of information about Athens, and Athens was just a neighbor just right down the street, and so most scholars agree, absolutely, this would have been the culture that the Corinthian church was influenced by as well. So back then, in Athens, lawsuits and the legal system was a huge part of society, just an absolutely massive part of society. It was one of the chief forms of entertainment, right? So they'd have the Olympics there every four years. And then in between, pretty much, it was court cases. Like that was such a huge part of the entertainment of what people like talked about, cared about, what they viewed as entertainment throughout their lives. Pretty crazy. Uh, I initially thought, man, these guys are weirdos. And then I remembered that just last month, there were over 20 million Americans that watched the January 6th trial uh, on TV. And I was like, man, we've got a lot of weirdos here today too. So let's go. Anyways, uh, all that to say is it really permeated through all of culture. Everyone knew what was going on in the court cases, regardless of if they had any like personal stake in it. That's what people talked about around the water cooler. It was a huge part of culture. And it makes sense when you think about the system that was set up. So how it worked back then in Athens is when you turned 30 years old, you were then eligible to become a juror. And you would be selected to these massive juries. It's not like today in America where you got a 12-person jury. Uh, they would have these giant juries for these big court cases. There'd be anywhere from 200 on the small side up to 6,000 jurors for these cases. Pretty insane. Uh, no, they didn't need to have unanimous. It was just majority rules. But but still, absolutely wild. Um, and so as you'd imagine with juries this big, over the course of your life, you'd be selected to numerous juries and just be a, like a part of it. Um, then when you turned 60 years old, your 60th year of life was a milestone in the life of a local uh, person in Athens back then. When you turn 60, for your 60th year, every single citizen during their 60th year of life became a public arbitrator, basically a lawyer, right? So you had to know your stuff. You had to understand the law inside and out because that was the role that you were going to fill as any citizen when you were 60 years old. 
The good news is, is because it was such a big part of society, you had grown up in it, you'd been on multiple juries, you got it. Uh, just the culture that was there during the time. And so that's the culture that's influencing the Corinthian church. And so Paul writes with some instruction. And the first thing he dresses is this, the role of the church. The role of the church, we're in 1 Corinthians 6, starting in verse 1. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more then matters pertaining to this life? Exclamation point. So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? But brother goes to law against brother and that before unbelievers. So there's a lot going on there, some passion, some sarcasm, and as I said, it is quite black and white. So if you're like me, when you read that, uh, you probably have a couple of questions specifically related to two statements about judging, and we're going to get to those. But before we do, I just want to zoom out and clarify the big picture of what Paul is talking about here. In verse 1, he asked the question to the Corinthian believers that he may as well be asking to you and to me today. And it's basically this. Christian, how dare you take another Christian to court rather than just settling your dispute in the church? How dare you take another Christian to court rather than just settling your dispute in the church? He's contending that a Jesus follower taking another Jesus follower to court is absolutely absurd. It's absurd because his argument is that it's completely unnecessary. It is unnecessary because the role of navigating conflict, conflict of settling dispute is a role that the church is more than capable of filling. His reasoning is where we quickly arrive at our two uh, interesting statements, our two statements about two different groups that believers, that Christians are going to judge in the future. Did you see those two groups? They were there in verses two and verse three. Those groups are the world and angels. Verse two, or do you not know that saints will judge the world? What did you think when you read through that the first time? Or maybe it was just that time because it finally clicked in. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? By any chance, did you think back to last week? Did you think back to what Pastor Scott was talking about last week, about how we as believers are called not to judge unbelievers? We're not called to judge people outside the church because that's exactly where my mind went uh, when I first read my first time through. Uh, but that is not what Paul is talking about here in verse two, not what he's talking about. So Paul is not referring here to this future time when Christians will judge non-Christians. 
not referring to that. There's not this picture of Jesus on his judgment throne and all these Christians standing behind him, kind of like the little brother, like, yeah, guilty, get him. Like, that is not the picture that we're talking about here at all. So the Greek word here for world is cosmos, right? So that's referring to the cosmos, the created order, creation. And the Greek word here for judge includes the concept of ruling. So what Paul is doing is he's reminding the church of their future role of reigning and ruling alongside Jesus over all of creation in eternity. He is not talking about reigning, ruling, judging non-Christians. That's not what he's talking about. The crazy part is that this ruling and reigning with Jesus over all of creation in eternity even includes angels. Look there in verse three. Now, what does that look like? What is the idea of us reigning, ruling over angels? No idea. Like, I wish I could give you like more aspects, like dive in, let me tell you more about what that's gonna look like. No idea. Um, but I do know that I'm just gonna take Paul's word for it and it sounds pretty amazing. Um, so if you wanna have more conversation, I, I don't know if I could give you really any more on that. I personally don't think it's worth, um, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, getting too hung up on the specifics of judging and ruling angels and what that's gonna look like, focusing here on the big picture. His point is pretty simple. If the church is destined for that type of ruling and reigning in eternity, don't you think that you can handle some of these smaller issues here on earth? And he asks another question kind of sarcastically there in verse five, don't you have anyone wise enough? And the implied answer to both of those questions is overwhelmingly, uh, yeah, obviously, of course. So I will tell you what, there is some supernatural Holy Spirit wisdom in the church. Have you ever been in a tough conversation or having, yeah, just in one of those situations that's a difficult one and all of a sudden this like wisdom comes out of nowhere and you just say the perfect thing at the perfect time and then afterwards you're like, whoa, that was amazing and you're like impressed with yourself and you're like, where did that come from? And then you realize, oh wait, that was the Lord, uh, correct. Absolutely correct. If you have chosen to make Jesus the Lord of your life, then you have the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the living God inside of you. The Spirit that has all wisdom, the source of all wisdom. Uh, Chris and I uh, have been here for almost 10 years now, which is pretty wild to think about. Uh, we've been here for almost 10 years, and I remember early on, uh, Chris and I, would have conversations regularly, regularly about just how amazed we were at Pastor Scott's wisdom. Like, Pastor Scott would make a decision on something or give us some advice on something or handle a certain situation and we would later go, uh, go and talk to each other, Chris and I, and be like, oh my gosh, that was brilliant. I can't believe like he's, like there's just so much wisdom. We would say that regularly. Um, Interestingly enough, we really haven't had many of those types of conversations later, Chris, lately, Chris and I. Uh, 
He has not lost his touch. He hasn't. I, honestly, I think we're just like accustomed to it. Like we're just used to Pastor Scott just being like so wise. The dude has so much wisdom. And I think and I know that he would attribute it to, man, just the Holy Spirit just leading and guiding and directing. Uh, there is just such a truth to that. There is an undeniable wisdom that comes from the Holy Spirit that is only found in the church. And I'm not just referring to ABF. I'm not just referring to the church staff, but into the body of believers, the church, those that follow Jesus. There's just an undeniable wisdom that comes from the Holy Spirit. And so Paul is imploring the Corinthian believers, utilize the church. Utilize the church. When situations like this come up, when dissension, when uh, conflict comes up, go to the church, submit to their authority, and then abide by the decision that's handed down. That is what he's telling the, the believers in Corinth to do. Now, uh, today, I understand that the Christian church is not granted the same legal authority uh, as the church was back then. And I get that there are certain circumstances where you have to go through the court system. Fine. Uh, but the point, the charge of Paul remains the same. There is no situation in which a believer should choose to take another believer to court, period, uh, end of the story. Instead, handle all such situations in the church. Plain and simple, black and white. But here's the thing. This is not just a religion thing. This is not just a letter of the law thing. This is not just a, I'm a Christian, so therefore I bring other Christians to church court instead. And because I am doing the right thing, therefore I am set. Check the box. That is not the picture of what Paul is saying at all. Paul knows that there is a much deeper heart issue going on here. And so here he addresses the heart of the issue. And that is the character of a believer. Verse seven, let's keep reading. To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. I'm gonna read verse seven again. To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? I feel like this is Paul's way of saying, okay, stop, wait, 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 wait. It is not just about who settles your disputes. I really think he can kind of see those wheels turning, the religious wheels turning, and then making the excuses, oh, I am a Christian, therefore I will take this person to Christian court instead. He is stopping that in the, its tracks, that line of reasoning. It is not just about who settles your disputes. The fact that you're having these types of issues at all is already defeat. A Jesus follower taking another Jesus follower to court is absurd. Not just because the church is cap capable of handling such situations, such disputes. The reason why it's absurd is because that action of taking another Jesus follower to court 
right? Of a relationship getting so broken and so heated and so selfish that it gets to that point that that is evidence that people who are claiming the name of little Christ are not living like him. So, uh, hmm. this isn't in my notes, but I, man, I know that sometimes uh, it can feel like things are just completely one-sided the other way. Like, man, I am just being wronged and I don't want to deny the fact that sometimes like people do wrong to other people in the church. I do not want to deny or belittle that um, and make you feel like you are this horrible Christian because somebody has done something horrible to you. However, there's still a truth to be seen here. So I just even wanted to say that. I felt a check in my spirit even as I was just recording here. Uh, however, the truth of what we're gonna say next still pertains. So the way of Jesus looks different from what we were just talking about, the kind of battle it out, take each other to court thing. The way of Jesus looks like forgiving your brother 490 times right? Jesus said 70 times seven is how many times we're forgiven a brother. And what he meant by that is unlimited forgiveness. That's the way of Jesus. That's what loving a brother looks like. The way of Jesus looks like love. The way of Jesus looks like love means laying down your life for a friend. That means literally, literally laying down life for a friend. The way of Jesus, when it comes to enemies, the way of Jesus looks like doing good to those who absolutely hate your guts, doing good to them. The way of Jesus looks like blessing those who curse you to your face and not just fake blessing, like actual blessing. The way of Jesus looks like praying for those who mistreat you on purpose and not the prayer, oh, I pray that they get what's coming to them, praying for their well-being. The way of Jesus, if someone slaps you on the right cheek, you turn your left cheek so that they can slap that one as well. If someone steals your coat, you give them your shirt. If someone forces you to walk one mile with them, you willingly walk a second mile. Now, I don't really get that last one. Uh, maybe just some like triathlon training gone wrong. I don't know. That's where my head goes. Um, but that's the way of Jesus. Stephanie told me a story about one of her old pastors. Her old pastor and his entire family uh, took a stint and they were missionaries in Liberia. And while they were there, um, they had a time when they had a bunch of their clothes out to dry out on the line and it all got stolen. Tons of clothes got stolen. The pastor, the dad, was up preaching uh, one of the Sundays thereafter and in walks into the back of the room while he's preaching, a woman wearing his wife's skirt. She comes in, listen to the message, and while he's preaching, he's up here and he's getting frustrated and he's angry and he's kind of like thinking about like the confrontation afterwards and, uh, and what that's going to look like. And the message ends and he's looking around and goes and he sees this woman and his wife walks up to this woman and hands her the matching shirt that goes with the skirt. 
And the pastor is still like frustrated and uh, goes up to his wife and he's like, what are you doing? That woman stole our clothes. Like she stole your skirt. And the, the wife's response is priceless. She said, what do you not understand about when somebody takes your coat, give them your shirt as well? Just think, man, that's the call. That's the way of Jesus. That's what he's calling us to. And here, Paul is just re-emphasizing the teachings of Jesus. He's reminding the Corinthian believers that as followers of Jesus, when disputes arise with other believers, rather than demanding your way, rather than squeezing every last penny out of them, rather than running to the court or even to the church court, the preferred response is being wronged or defrauded. I think this is one of the biggest heart checks. I think this is one of the hardest teachings in all of scripture. Um, and man, what a heart check. What would you say? Like, what do you do? What, where does your heart go when you're in a situation when you're called to be defrauded or wronged? What do you do? I, uh, I think our flesh so strongly pushes back against this and it is so easy to find a justification not to live the way of Jesus. It is. That being said, I think there are some clarifications as we think about what this looks like in our lives. I think one clarification that's really important is that this is not a call to just live in a perpetual position of weakness not just live in this perpetual position of weakness. I think it is actually quite the contrary. I think this is a call to periodically, when situations arise, to willingly and intentionally lay down our strength, to lay down our power, to lay down our rights for the sake of someone else. The second clarification that I think is important here is that I don't believe that this is just a way to interact with believers, okay? Here, the letter of the law forbids believers to take other believers to court. Yes, that is true. Uh, but the heart of the matter, how we love other people, that's not just for other believers. That's how we love everyone, believer or unbeliever. And the third clarification I think is important is, man, we are not being asked to live in a way other than Jesus. He is the one that modeled this for us. The only way that we can hope to live like him in this area is if we are deeply and genuinely impacted by the good news of the gospel. That is the only way. And that's where Paul heads next. The, uh, the effect of the gospel, starting in verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Amen? So, 
at first glance, uh, I think that uh, this very popular section of scripture can seem very disjointed from the rest of the passage, uh, but just want to even come out at the beginning and say it's not. It fits in beautifully. Uh, and one of the ways that we can see how beautifully it fits in is it is important for us to understand what this list in verses 9 and 10 is and what it's not. Okay, so this list in verses 9 and 10, it is not an exhaustive list of all sin. Okay, it is not a list of unforgivable sins. If you do these sins, then you are left out of the kingdom of God. You cannot inherit eternal life. Salvation is out of the question. It is not that. It is not a list of sins that if you have done them once you become a believer, then you lose salvation. You're out. Okay, that is not it either. Verse 9 and 10, the list is simply a list of sinners that emphasizes the end result of a life lived in unrepentant sin. The end result of a life lived in unrepentant sin, never surrendered to Jesus, is separation from a perfect and holy God. That is all that list is talking about. So the list of sinners itself uh, is pretty much the same list from last week if you were around. Uh, sexually immoral, the greedy, idolaters, revilers, drunkards, swindlers. Uh, if you missed last week, by the way, I would highly encourage you to go back. It was super powerful, really good, and Pastor Scott talks uh, a little bit and touches more on each of those. Uh, definitely recommend going back and catching next, uh, last week. So here in the passage this week, he adds three new ones. He adds adulterers, thieves, and men who practice homosexuality. Uh, I would say all three of those are pretty straightforward, right? They don't take a whole lot of uh, description or explanation. And I don't want to spend too much time here because the specifics of each of these individual sins or sinners aren't really that integral to what we're talking about here in the big picture. However, uh, I do want to talk briefly about that last one, men who practice homosexuality, uh, and for a good reason. Because uh, obviously, homosexuality is a massive, massive conversation in our culture today. In our culture, in the church, massive conversation. And this passage is one of the key passages that's a part of that conversation. And so I feel like it would be foolish to just breeze by without any sort of conversation here. Um, and so, uh, really all I want to say about it is that some argue that the Greek words here used, um, to refer to men who practice homosexuality is only referring to a specific type of abusive homosexual activity. And so therefore, uh, this command, uh, lumping this in as sin activity, uh, is not really for the broad, general, all of homosexuality. It's just in this one specific small uh, case that was prevalent back then. And, uh, and I would just say uh, that is not the case. Um, if you look at the two Greek words that are used here, malakoi and arsenokritis, um, they form a blanket, right, covering 
any and all forms of homosexual activity. Um, we can get into the minutia of it. If you want to have more of a conversation, uh, we can talk about it later. Uh, actually, the reason why I even brought it up to begin with, my hope is that it's not a conversation ender, like the pastor said so, end of discussion. My hope is it's a conversation starter, and we can dive in and have more conversation. So if you're interested in dialoguing more on the topic, please uh, shoot me an email, come and talk with me. I'd love to have more conversation on the topic. But that's all I want to talk about it here today. So, uh, although verses 9 and 10, the list, right, of all the sins or sinners gets all the attention, it really is verse 11 that's the key to this entire section and really to the entire passage. So, after going through that list that we saw there in verses 9 and 10, verse 11 says, and such were some of you. That was you. That was you. Clearly, we see here, just even in verse 11, we didn't have to read very far. There are not unforgivable sins. That's not what we're talking about here. The reminder is the effect of the gospel. The reminder here to the Corinthians, uh, to the church here uh, in Corinth, is how much they've been forgiven and who it was that did the forgiving. The reminder is that Jesus, the ultimate judge who reigns above it all, who has unlimited power, unlimited strength, willingly, on purpose, laid down all of his strength and paid a debt that he did not owe. We owed the greatest of debts and he paid it on our behalf, not because we deserved it, not because he should have. It was not right for him to, but he did it on our behalf. He died for us. And that is the picture of what this passage is talking about. The effect of the gospel should permeate this entire conversation. As I was just kind of thinking about this whole conversation, I feel like there are probably a number of questions that come up. Like I was thinking like, man, what are the questions that I feel like people are thinking or asking? And uh, I'm going to address to the best of my ability what I came up with. Uh, and the first question is this, man, what about that person, right? That Christian, quote unquote Christian, that's just horrible. Like, they're just absolutely terrible. Uh, I'm convinced in all of, like, my right mind that I am not, like, I'm not in the wrong here. I'm just absolutely being wrong. This person is just horrible. Um, and my answer to that would be, well, I, hard to blanket cover over everything, right? Like, case-by-case case scenario. I think absolutely in certain circumstances, uh, the right thing, the calling is the way of Jesus, right? Allowing to be defrauded, allowing to be wronged. Um, and letting the Lord be the judge, letting the Lord uh, go and defend and do what he does. Um, but absolutely, I also think that there are times to bring it to the church, right? If you're both uh, believers and submitted to the authority of the church, bring it to the church. Just last week, Pastor Scott talked about church discipline, and there is absolutely a time to bring things to the attention of the church leaders that you believe in, trust. Um, absolutely, that is there. Um, and then I think the bigger question that I, I kind of 
was processing and felt like people might be asking is, man, what does this like look like practically? Like, what is, how does this all play itself out? And I think that's a really good question because I even just started thinking through my life, like, what does this look like? Um, because for me, I actually don't feel like situations like this where I've like had this huge wrong against me or I'm like being defrauded or wronged uh, or taken advantage of happens all the time. Um, just anecdotally speaking, it feels like it's kind of situations that are fewer and farther between and you can kind of like see them coming. Um, the last situation that I can think of in our lives, um, and who knows, maybe I'm just forgetting and because I've done it horribly and responded horribly, it's quite possible. Don't get me wrong. Um, I might just be blind to my own not living the way of Jesus. Uh, I am not above that. Um, but man, I thought of a time when we actually got it right and we kind of saw what was happening. Uh, a number of years ago, Lindsay got into a car accident uh, with a gentleman uh, and it was completely this other guy's fault. 100% admitted like the whole deal. Absolutely his fault. And uh, guy was kind of a swindler. Uh, like he was kind of just like one of those guys. Um, like we asked for his insurance and he gave his AAA card. It turns out he didn't even have insurance. Um, and long story short, uh, not to bore you with uh, too many of the details, but it was a few thousand dollars worth of damage. Not like it wasn't totaled, um, but it wasn't super tiny, not just a scratch. There's a few thousand dollars worth of damage. And we were in a situation where we absolutely could have forced him to pay and taken legal action and, and you know, did the whole thing. And we just felt like the Lord wanted us to live the way of Jesus and cover the expenses out of pocket, out of our emergency fund, and just kind of explain to him that the reason why we were doing it is because we felt like the Lord was calling us to doing that. And then tried getting him connected over at Calvary's care ministry because he was on hard times and all this stuff. And uh, the guy actually ended up moving fairly shortly thereafter. I don't know the whole, the whole picture of it. Uh, actually, in hindsight, I really wish I would have been more explicit with the gospel, right? With, hey, this is a picture of what Jesus did for us. Like, I didn't deserve his grace uh, and his goodness and him to pay the price for me. Um, I owed a giant debt and he paid it for me. I wish I would have been more explicit with the gospel. Maybe next time, uh, Lord, all right, whenever, whenever you want. Um, but anyways, and I, that was the last situation that I can think of. Um, and the Lord just like kind of worked on our hearts throughout it. It wasn't this immediately we knew Lindsay got in the accident and it was like, yes, the way of Jesus, you know? It was just like the Lord kind of softly as we surrendered to him just worked on our hearts. And I think that leads perfectly into how verse 11 concludes. Verse 11 concludes this. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. So in the Greek, the literal translation would have included the word but three times, like I just read it there. Uh, however, we think that's weird and so we took that out so that it reads cleaner. Um, but I really think it's helpful because it emphasizes the change. It emphasizes the change that's occurred. We used to be verses 9 and 10, but now we're verse 11. It is only because of Jesus's actions that we've been washed, that we've been completely, completely cleaned. It is only by Jesus' actions that we've been sanctified. We have been changed. Now, because of our, this new life after Jesus, we don't live like the list in verses 9 and 10. We are not slaves to that sin anymore. And now we've been justified. We've been found not 
guilty, right? We're talking about legal stuff. And here's this term. We've been found not guilty because of what Jesus has done. That is the unbelievable change that happens in a life because of the gospel. It's not because of you or I being awesome people and these really moral good people. It's the change because of what Jesus has done and the good news of the gospel. And I think that Jesus calls us to live in this backwards way that sometimes is super difficult, seemingly even impossible in certain situations to be a beautiful picture of the gospel to other people to be this beautiful picture of what the gospel actually looks like here on earth so that he can use that to draw people in to himself. And I think, man, obviously there are no guarantees in this life, but if you were to tell me that I could pay a few thousand dollars for a car repair that, wasn't right, that I didn't rightfully owe, and on the other side of it, we're gonna see another soul in heaven because of that, man, sign me up. Let me pray for us. Dear Lord, um, God, thank you so much for your word. Um, God, we're so desperate for your word to sharpen us as I prayed earlier. Uh, without your word um, informing us, um, giving ammunition for the Holy Spirit, it's so easy for us to justify away uh, things like this teaching. It's so easy for us to claim and hold on to justice and doing the right thing and uh, even claiming that in your name. And yet you call us to the way of Jesus, the way of loving like this, of living sacrificial, sacrificially, of willing to being wronged and defrauded for your sake. Um, Lord, we desperately need your Holy Spirit to show up and to empower us to live this way. Um, Lord, we need your Holy Spirit to convict in these times. Um, Lord, we want to follow the letter of the law and not taking another uh, Christian to court, sure. But more importantly, we want to have hearts that are after you. Um, Lord, uh, gosh, we're just so desperate for your Holy Spirit in this work of transforming, of sanctifying, of making us more like you. Um, God, thank you that you're faithful to do that when we surrender and lay our lives down for you. Lord, we are excited to see the fruit of what you'll bring, not only in our lives, but the harvest that you'll bring out of it. Um, God, we give you all the glory. We thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you so much that you didn't leave us where we are at. And uh, we are just overwhelmingly grateful, Lord. We love you. We thank you. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. And before we go, uh, I know this is a little different, but I just feel convicted. If you have never surrendered your life to Jesus, if you've never chosen to live the way of Jesus, if you never accepted the free gift that he offers, we are all dead in our sin, every single one of us, dead in our sin. We owed a price that was way too big that we could not pay. Jesus paid that price, his death, paid for anything, any sin that you've ever done. Um, and he offers a free gift. All you have to do is say, Jesus, thank you for what you did for me. Thank you for dying and raising for the dead, from the dead. Because of what you did, Lord, I surrender my life to you. I make you the Lord, the King that reigns over my life. Um, I would just encourage you, if you've never done that, would you just pray? And all that means is talk to God right now and say that you accept that from him. And uh, would you send me an email? I'd love to talk to you more about that decision. But I would love you. We're praying for you. Have an amazing week. We'll see you next time.